0: Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those that came before us, Father, who followed you faithfully, who lived out their faith in remarkable ways, and in many ways became the very hands and feet of Jesus to each of us. Father, I thank you um, for this time, and I ask that you use my words that they would not be my own but yours. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. So we're doing something a little different this week. We are, we are celebrating or observing All Saints Day, which was actually last week. And we're kind of a little, everything's going to be a little one week off. But I get the opportunity to come and share with you today. We sang in the first service, but there was a song when I was a kid that at St. Michael's Academy in Bryan, Texas, that once a week or so we would sing in our chapel. And it was a sing a song of the saints of God patient and brave and true, who toiled and fought and lived and died for the Lord they loved anew. And this was once a week. And so as we talk about saints, what does that really mean? In our world, there are a million different connotations that come with this. And are they all good? Or are they accurate? I don't know. But what we think of as saints will hopefully unfold as we talk about this. We're going to celebrate all Christians living and deceased. The word saints, because of the connotations, sometimes we think, well, it's probably someone who's done something miraculous, closer to God, done more for the kingdom than anybody else. Um, but I want to maybe paint a picture that's a little bit different. Paul addresses saints often. Saints are all people who follow Jesus and live their lives according to his teachers. So saints are people like you who live out your faith. The word saint comes from the Latin sanctus, and it literally means holy. Throughout the New Testament, saints is used to refer to all who believe in Jesus Christ and who followed his teaching. Paul often addresses his epistles to the saints of a particular city. Ephesus in Ephesians 1.1, Paul says, An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to all the saints who are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, one says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints that are in Achaia. And in Acts written by Luke, there's a reference to Peter going to visit the saints in Lydda. The assumption was that those men and women followed Christ and had been, had been so reliant on Christ and so transformed that their lives served as witnesses to the hope of Jesus Christ and to all who believe. So as we give the definition of saints, of which I consider you, we also get to dive into the gospel reading today. And as I, as I saw the gospel reading, one, it is one of my favorite passages. It spoke to me as a college kid as I started to follow Jesus and it, the, the Beatitudes, this thing that. Jesus spoke, and his first sermon was very relevant. It meant something so deeply to me. When I was a kid, in 21, we did a Bible study, and it was on the Beatitudes, and the Bible study guy who was leading us, the area director for the organization I worked for, he wanted us to go through it, and he made us rewrite them in our own words. And I would give anything to go back to my 21-year-old self and see what I actually wrote. I'm sure it was very profound. (laughs) But it meant something. In fact, the first gift that Mary Jane ever gave me was a Bible that had my name and underneath it, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. It was so important to me that how do we live this out? And I think for a long time I tried to live it out by working harder. How do I achieve these things? And that's what's so remarkable about this. The Gospel 5, it takes us to the early days of Jesus' ministry to this passage that we're so familiar with, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first and longest sermon from Matthew's Gospel, and Jesus lays out the foundation for his entire ministry as he speaks, as he's taught. And this is a message that changes what we see as faithful for all the saints who follow. In essence, these are the attributes, these are the parts of the saints that we see. But it doesn't come from our striving, but rather our reliance on God. Jesus climbs up on the mountain with his disciples nearby and other followers listening behind him. And then Jesus sits down to speak, showing his authority as a reliable teacher of God's ways. Think of Moses going on the mountain with the law. And here's Jesus up on the mountain as people follow and listen, and it's something that turns the religious world on its head. It wasn't about the last days or a revolution that surely to come in the world, or the overthrowing of powers and governments, Jesus teaches a sermon that turns the religious people of that day against him. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. I'm going to read it again, by the way, because I want you to just listen. Listen to each one of these. He went up on the mountains, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The pattern of the Beatitudes, these verses, that we could spend quite literally a whole semester on, if not longer. The pattern is pretty simple. The first, th- it's a three part formula. The first, the blessing, always in present tense. Then, the description of those who are blessed. And finally, the reason they are blessed. In these nine Beatitudes, Jesus tells us who we are and whose we are. He contrasts the world's expectations with the reality of the kingdom of God, a reality that is here and now. The first three Beatitudes focus on those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek. Jesus begins by addressing us in our weakest, most vulnerable states. These three Beatitudes seem to contradict what we think of as a blessing. How can such negative attributes, such as spiritual poverty, mourning, meekness, be blessed? Imagine we've all had moments Seasons in our lives where the world seems to be pressing in around us. Times of great heartache and strife. Maybe it's financial trouble, struggles with addiction, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, and illness, troubles in a marriage or with your own kids or family. Life-altering events that seem to consume our thoughts and our energy. Many of us have mourned and faced difficult circumstances even this year. For some of us, The experience is fresh. For others, the process has moved us further down the road towards healing. Sorrow takes its toll. It drains us of who we are, of our very will. Oftentimes, we continue to press forward, doing all that we can to fix, to make things right, to right the ship. And under our own strength, we try to make things new, try to solve our problems and come up with solutions. It's an uncomfortable place. Maybe you're feeling it now, and there doesn't seem to be a way out. But it's often in this place that our strength fades. Our resolve to handle our problems disappears. We come to the end of ourselves. What a blessed place the end of ourselves is. Our effort and resolve leave us without solution. I'm at the end of myself. We exhaust all of everything we've had. But the true paradox of this is coming to the end of ourselves is where we find God, where we truly are able to let go of all that we've held on to to try to make things right. The paradox in the world's economy is that this would seem like a time that we should be in despair and helpless. For, but for those of us who believe, we can find peace. We find life. I'm at the end of myself is not an admission of defeat or time to give up. Coming to the end of ourselves is when we as believers begin to recognize that in our brokenness and weakness, we are able to comprehend what it is to be blessed and poor in spirit because at the end of ourselves, we're able to finally completely rely on God. In our sorrow, God blesses us with hope And reminds us that we have a future in Christ Jesus that the world cannot see. Our hope is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior and in the promise he's given us. It is in our spiritual poverty that we we truly know what it is to trust and rely on him and not on ourselves. The end of ourselves is not such a bad place. What about meekness? It's not a word we use a whole lot in our society today. Because the word meek really kind of seems like a liability. And I mean, after all, it rhymes with weak, right? Meek, weak. And no one wants to seem weak. Those who are weak don't stand a chance in our world, where personal power is considered a premium virtue. But theologian Thomas Long wrote this, meekness is not timidity or passivity, but rather a patient trusting that God will act in due time. It's an insistence on being nonviolent even in the midst of a violent society, a contentment with the basic necessities of life, even in a possession-hungry world, and taking delight in the gifts of God and the many comforts. As as Psalm Psalm 37 says, "'Turn in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart.'" Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. When we are at our weakest, our most vulnerable, Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven will be ours. We'll find comfort in our sorrow. What a paradox. And we will inherit the earth. We may see our present condition in a negative light, but our future is filled with great promise because of who we believe in and who is with us. The fourth beatitude starts out sounding like it might belong to a group that includes spiritual poverty, sorrow, and meekness. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But Jesus, we're hungering for that, the ways of God. When you're hungry, when you're thirsty, the only thing that's satisfied is food and drink. Desperation for food that you, that's all that fills you in our physical bodies. But he's saying we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it puts the fourth beatitude in a category all to itself. For those who seek righteousness will be satisfied. They will be filled. In this one promise, Jesus turns the attention away from what we lack and towards what we eagerly seek. The righteousness of God through the fulfillment of this promise is still in the future. It gives us great hope. There is hope in who we believe and what we believe. Instead of focusing on deep need, Jesus turns our attention to God's provision for each of us. And this brings us to the next three Beatitudes. Are we filled with God's righteousness? We are transformed in those who bring mercy, purity of heart, and peace to a broken world. If the first three Beatitudes could be seen in a negative light, then these three must surely be seen in a positive way, right? Right? Those who offer mercy, whose hearts are pure, who make peace in every corner of creation, are given an amazing promise. They will receive mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. You will receive mercy. You will see God. You have the right to call yourself a child of God. Beatitudes 8 and 9 are so similar to this. It makes sense to consider them together, but that doesn't make them easier to accept. If We started out as our most vulnerable, came through a desire for righteousness to be strength. We come to this grand finality, purity and peacemaking. You'd think Jesus would be building this up, right? Here comes the beatitude that's really about all the great things. Maybe something like this, blessed are those who finally attain perfection, in God, intended for that they were intended for, and shall live eternally with God in glory. Doesn't work, does it? It's about what we've done. Blessed, but here's what it actually says it said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I don't know about you, but those words kind of make me uncomfortable. Do any of us really want to be persecuted? Many people suffer in persecution throughout the world because of what they believe and who they believe in. They're persecuted to the point of their own lives they give up for the sake of the gospel. Look what Jesus says about those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is identical to the first beatitude. The one about being poor in spirit. And notice Jesus doesn't put it in future tense. But the present. Right now, both those things, poor in spirit, those who are persecuted, receive the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus gets really personal. And this is the part that probably is a little harder for the first time in the Beatitudes he's talking directly to us, face to face. And it says this, it's no longer a hypothetical they, it's us. And it says, now, blessed are you, you. When people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account, not if, not if, but when people revile you and persecute you and say awful things about you because your faith in Jesus, of your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, rejoice. Rejoice in that and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Biblical scholar Earl Palmer tells us that there are two Hebrew words that translate as blessing. One is barak, and it means to bow or to stoop. This is the word that's used in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. But it's also words used in Numbers 622 where it says the Lord bless you and keep you. In this case, it means the Lord stoop down to you. But in Psalm 1, the word used for blessing is ashar, which means to find the right road. Ashar in Psalm 1 means you are on the right road, you're a straight path when you walk, not in the way of the unrighteous, but in the way of the law of God. This is the idea of ashar, is the kind of blessedness we find here. You're on the right road when you're spiritually poor, when you're meek, when you show mercy. When you make peace and when you're persecuted for the sake of the gospel, rejoice, be glad. You're on the right path. Yours is the kingdom of God. But there's one more thing you need to know about these beatitudes. The beatitudes are not a prescription or how-to lesson that we so quickly want in our lives. What's the formula to make it all right? They're not that way. They're not a prescription. It's not what we can gather on our own. They're not commands. Jesus isn't telling us to get busy and become poor in spirit. Make sure you mourn today. What he's saying is to get out there and make or go out and make some peace. Jesus is saying, if you will do these things, this is what your payment will be. He's not saying that. Jesus is telling us that no matter what circumstances we experience, whether good or bad, he's with us on the right road. You can't attain these things. These are the end of ourselves, the reliance on God. And that road leads straight to to the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is already here, a kingdom that you as a believer are still a part of, even as we wait for its fulfillment. But to be on that road with Jesus means we have to trust him. We have to make him Lord. We have to believe that he is the son of God who died on a cross to save us, who rose from the dead, And who reigns with God the Father through all eternity. Whether we mourn or suffer persecution, Jesus is with us. Whether our spirits are poor or we hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus is with us. Whether we are meek or merciful, peacemakers or pure, Jesus will be with us. And when, not if, we are reviled or persecuted for the sake of Christ, He will be with us, giving us strength to do everything through Him, not just me, not just the people in the past, but with each of us now, in the present. Today we celebrate All Saints Day, and this long parade of saints who have come before us, and those who follow after us, and those who are among us now, all of us are blessed who follow Scripture tells us that many will come from east and west and north and south to sit at the table in the kingdom of God. The table is set for all that come. Will you come to this table? Will you come to this feast that Christ has set for us, for all who believed, that he's prepared for you? Saints of God, the kingdom of God is yours. Come to this table. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.